Hey, it's great to see you. I'm so glad to be able to be here with you. Uh, Lori and I just moved back to the Valley, and we were here a few weeks ago and saw the back of some of your heads and that kind of thing. But to see you face-to-face and some of you that have come for today, um, it, it's great to be here. My name's Don. As Jared said, I'm the old dad, you know, that kind of just hangs around. And uh, we, are, we are just glad to be here. Real quick, let me, just before we get in the message, for those of you that know, some of you may have questions, like, why you're sitting and that kind of thing, and, and you have a cane because I'm old, and, and actually I have a spinal cord injury as well. So if I fall down, just leave me there. I'll wake up later on. Um, we come back to the valley after pastoring here for 21 years or so, and we're going to be pastors to pastors kind of idea, um, which is the main thing is try to straighten Jared out and get him lined up. But... Um, and we're looking forward to uh, spending some time in the very various churches in the valley, and um, and an opportunity that we have in between time before that job actually starts to do some things with some some of the churches and to uh, I'm going, I'm wanting to put together like old baby boomer type people that they think the church is like going too young, you know, and like what do we do now? We're getting in, and we're going to try to do a thing called mission, which is may have planting churches, that's, I might do missions, it might be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So anyway, if you're interested in that kind of thing, let me know and I'll ignore you, but let me know. <laughs> Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you. It's, it's just always good to, to just gather and be with you. And, and so today, uh, we just open this time up to you in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to do a diagnostic question that helps you know if this message is for you today. I want you to think about your life and every little aspect of your life that you can possibly think of. You know, your physical, your relational, your health, financial, your future, your job, decisions, every, every aspect you can think of your, of your life. How many of you would admit that you have at least one problem? Raise your hand. You have at least one, one problem. You're a pretty good company. And the best thing, you know, is this, this message is, is for you, actually. Um, because I'm going to talk about one of the things that, that grips us more than anything else. When we talk about simplify a life, I know you've talked about schedule and time and calendar and all that kind of thing. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters if you're in the clutches of anxiety and worry. If, if, you, if all you do is worry, it doesn't matter if your time is scheduled completely, you're going to have all the free time in the world. You're going to worry in your free time. In your busy time, it's going to be limited because you're going to worry. It's, it's nothing like worry. In fact, the Bible would talk about worry as being one of the most detrimental things to our life, spiritually, emotionally, in our relationships. Just think about it for a minute. If you worry, I mean, your joy just goes like right out the window. Does It's hard to be joyful if you're in the clutches of worry. Um, you don't even think about others. It's all about you. Everything focuses on you. You can't connect with others. You can't deal with others. You can't, you can't worry about others. It's just everything comes back to you all the time. And when you think about reaching out and stretching out to, to do an adventure or to do something, to step out on faith or to do something that you think God's really called you to do or maybe the purpose of your life, why you're here, you don't even want to go there because all you can do is worry about what that's going to look like. In fact, your faith starts to erode 
and even your trust in God starts to deteriorate. Before long, you question whether he even knows what's going on or whether he cares what, what's going on. Maybe the worst thing about worry is that you never really can live for the moment. The future just looms out there with dark clouds, so much so that you never can live now and for today. And some of you are in the middle of that so that you, you can't live moment by moment at, at any time. You've, and it's been that way for days or weeks or years or decades. Worry. So, got a little scripture that you don't have to fill in blanks. All you got to do is memorize this scripture. Should we take another break? From, oh, I think I lost you on that one. If, if you'll memorize this scripture, it will stick with you and it will be there for you in times when you when you really wonder what's up. It's in the book of Philippians, if you have your Bibles or if you want to turn your Bible on, I've got a, or it's up on a screen, you can tell that um, the screen is for mostly younger folks because it's too little for guys like me. <laughs> Chuck, he doesn't see anything. <laughs> yeah. <all right. laughs> so uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the writer of this passage of Scripture says, don't be anxious. And they throws this in. About anything. Don't worry about anything. He doesn't just say, don't sweat this small stuff, you know, so you gain five pounds over the holidays or you got a new gray hair. No, he says, don't worry about anything. Bankruptcy? Eh, don't worry about it. Divorce? Eh, don't worry about it. Doctor's report that shakes you to the... Ah, don't worry about that. Your kids, your grandkids, your parents. Yeah, don't worry about it. You read that and you go, like, what planet are you from? Have you any clue of what's going on to say, don't worry about anything? Well, let me just tell you who wrote this. A guy named Paul, an apostle. Um, here's, here's where he wrote it. He was sitting on an island with his feet up, a little umbrella drink in one hand, and music. No. You know where he wrote this? In prison. He didn't know if his day was going to be gone like that, his life was going to be gone that day. He didn't know if, if he was going to rot in that place and stay there forever until he's just a skeleton in the corner somewhere. And he says, don't be anxious. He's pretty acquainted with stress. He was shipwrecked numerous times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten and left for dead. He was put in prison on more than one occasion. He had people running around while he was in prison trying to, to degrade his name and, and to run his, his ministry into the ground and saying all kinds of rumors about him. If anybody knows what stress is, Paul knows. And yet he says, don't spend one hour in this debilitating thing called worry. Don't worry about anything. Now, how in the world is that possible? How in the world 
Do we take that and live it? Three things. I'm going to talk about um, who worries. I'm answer three questions. Who worries? Second one is, where does worry come from? And the third one, what's Paul's antidote to worry? So the first one, who worries? This is real easy. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Everyone. <laughs> All of us do. Every one of us worries. We just worry in different ways. We have different styles. It's kind of like, you know, the, the dress. You know, some people see black and blue. Some people see white and gold. I saw green and red, and I don't know what that means. What's, you know, everybody sees the dress. They just see it differently. Everybody has stress. Everybody has problems. Everybody worries. We just worry differently. There's some of us that worry, and it is right on the surface. I mean, when you worry, you worry, and you know you worry, and everyone knows you worry, and you worry about everything and anything, and you worry that you worry too much, and you worry when you don't worry because you think you're missing something that you need to be worried about, and you worry. It's intense. It's there. You're getting a handle on it, but you worry all the time. Second thing, second kind of style of worrying is the person in denial. It's not that they don't have problems, it's just that they've buried it so deep that they don't let it mess with them anymore. It's like, yeah. In fact, in American literature, there's one guy who was the perfection of this whole thing. He had a little statement that said, what, me worry? Do you remember him? See if you remember this guy. See how old you are. <laughs> Alfred E. Newman, Mad Magazine. What, me worry? You know, they say that, that worry is connected with intelligence and that the people who worry the most have a tendency to be a little more bright than others who don't worry. No? So if you don't worry, it's not that you're so much a spiritual giant. It's just that you're maybe not the brightest bulb in the package. We, we stuff it, we deny it, we put it down into the, into the depths of our, of, our, of our life. There are some of you, and I know some of you are in this category because I know some of you real well. You're not in either one of those first two categories of worry. When it comes to worry, what you decide is self-reliance is going to get you through. I'm going to manage every detail and I'm going to dominate every person so that worry is no longer an issue. And you control and control and control until you've got it all handled. Are you sitting next to someone like that? In every wedding, there's a person who, who just embodies this. Usually. It's a little bit of a generalization, but usually. The controller. The mother of the bride. The old M-O-T-B. Yeah. In fact... I remember a wedding one time. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. and I remember a wedding one time when the, the MOTB didn't like anything. She didn't like the colors. She didn't like the, the candles. She didn't like the music. She didn't like the bridesmaids' dresses. She didn't like me. She said she's going to replace me if I didn't get a better pair of shoes. And that was my wedding. That was, that was, that was my mother-in-law. <laughs> It doesn't matter how much you want to control things and dominate things and keep things and manage things. One of these days, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize you're not in control. You're not there. You're not God. You don't have it all together and something's going to blow. And when it blows, everything is going to blow. And you're going to be reminded, this is more than I can handle. 
And Paul to all of us says, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. What in the world? Well, let's look a little bit about what, what worry, how, where it comes from, because there's an illusion about worry. We think that worry is connected to our problems, certain problems, certain problems and certain people <laughs> sometimes. And here's the illusion. If I can just get rid of that problem, I'm not, I'll not worry anymore. But have you ever noticed that just about the time you get that problem solved, that another one replaces it? And then another one. I've got good news for you. There's going to come a day when all your problems are solved. There's not going to be another problem that you have to worry about. Unfortunately, that's the day you die. But it's, it's going to be amazing how everything just smooths out when that kind of thing happens. But it, it is just, it's, it's just there. And, and Jesus said, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems. In fact, today has enough problems to worry about. Where's worry? Is it? Problem after problem after problem. The problems come, the problems go. Worry stays the same. There's a, an expert that has actually written a book on worry named Edward Hallwell, who has an interesting equ equation. He says worry is, is the equivalent or is the accumulation of a diminished, or excuse me, an accelerated sense of, um, of vulnerability. You, you, you have this deep desire. To, to get through this thing, but the more you look at it, the more vulnerable you feel, the, the more you look like this is going to wipe me out. And a diminished sense of power or strength. A diminished sense. So you're very vulnerable and you can't do anything about it and, and worry accelerates. Now, so you look at Paul. Here's Paul. Is he vulnerable? Yeah, he's in prison. He's maybe chained to some guards or at least he's in a place he can't get out. His life could be taken from him. His life could be over. You talk about vulnerable. He's very vulnerable. Lack of, we of power, very weak. Yeah, I would say so. There's nothing he can do to help himself. So how in, in heaven's name can he be sitting in this place as vulnerable as can be, as weak as you can possibly get and say, don't worry about anything? Because here's what we know about Paul. He has this sense of Jesus Christ, not as just some historical figure, not some guy who, you know, resurrected on Easter and now we remember and we date the calendars differently. And not something that we're going to look in our history books. But he, he knew the resurrected Jesus so that he knows that even though Jesus is no longer walking this earth, that the presence of Jesus is with him every step of the way every single moment of his day and more than likely as he looked maybe guarded by these these guys handcuffed or 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 whatever tied to these these guards or very close by even closer even more tied than what the guards who were, who were holding them in that prison is the very presence of the resurrected jesus and he knows this you can't get you can't get vulnerable you can't get overly vulnerable when you recognize that the the son of god the living son of god is with you and that you're in the care and the keeping and the holding of the very God of this universe who created us, Jesus Christ. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. He said one time in, in Romans, let me just tell you this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the presence of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate me from the care and the, and the compassion and the concern. Of Jesus. And he starts to list things that, that you would list, maybe that would fall in the categories when you looked at your problems. The danger? How about poverty? Violence? 
Not even death, he said, not even death can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So that when it all comes down to it, what really matters is I'm never vulnerable for eternity. Even death could come. I can lose it all and I can die. But if I'm in the hands of Jesus, if I'm in the care and the concern of him, ultimately I'm not vulnerable. What can this life take from me if I have Jesus? And then you take the power thing, the strength thing. In just a few more verses in Philippians, he says this, I can do all things. I can handle anything. I can handle everything through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, that there's this mysterious power and strength, the same strength that Jesus used when he was on this earth, the same strength that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That strength in this mysterious, mystical way is available to us as followers of Jesus. Vulnerable, I could never get out of his presence. Weak, the strength of Jesus Christ is with me, that no matter what I face, I can get through this. And so he says, unabashedly, boldly, not taking it back even a, a bit of this, of this injunction. Don't be anxious about anything. Somebody comes in the side door, don't be anxious. ISIS takes over, don't be anxious. Don't. Everybody looks at you, don't be anxious. <laughs> really, the, the core of the gospel is this. When Jesus said, if you follow me, consider the, consider the lilies of the field, consider the birds of the air. They don't toil, they don't spend. Don't worry. Don't, be like them, because I, if I take care of them, I'm going to take care of you as well. That's the, that's the essence of our life here on earth. Don't worry about it. Paul says, don't, don't be anxious about anything. So I wish I could just end it right there and, and say, okay, that's all we need. Okay, don't be anxious. And you'd go, oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, okay, I'm not going to worry now. I, I, boy, that's, that's deep. Thank you. Here's, here's what I know about you and me. That just doesn't work. In fact, what usually happens is you go, oh, I can't believe I'm a worrier. And then you start beating yourself up, or I'm too anxious. And you start, you know, or you start pointing that because they're anxious and they're worrying. It doesn't do enough just to identify and say, don't do it anymore. Paul does this interesting thing. His antidote for worry is connected in this way that is an amazing thing. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. He connects worry and prayer. And here's the interesting I connect worry and prayer, and it's, it's a weird thing. I don't believe worry can do anything, but I do it all the time. I believe prayer can do everything, and I never do it. Isn't that weird? I do what I don't want to do, but I don't do what I want to do, and, and so I worry rather than... He says, hey, let me just tell you about this. When, you, when, you're, when you're stuck in this mode of anxiety and worry, let that lead you to this thing called prayer. And there, well, there's got to be this secret code about special prayer. No, here's, here's what it looks like. In every situation, in everything, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request before God. I mean, you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know all the original languages. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have study theology to figure that one out. In everything, in everything, present your request. Prayer, that means you talk. Petition, list them all out. Thanksgiving, I love that Thanksgiving because here's what happens to me. When I pray 
And I'm especially when I'm in, in anxiety, I need to call time out more than once and, and prime the faith pump because, you know, I, more than maybe I'd like to admit or I'd like to admit in public at least is I need my, my faith up, uplifted because when I'm worrying and I'm anxious, there's little things going off in my head like, yeah, yeah, not for you, Don. Mm-mm. No. I mean, God can handle some things, but he, he can't handle that. Oh, yeah. He'll do that for other people, but he won't do that for you. How many times have you prayed about that? I mean, I get this, and I, all of a sudden, not only am I worrying, I'm talking myself out of going to the, to the very place that the Bible tells me to go, to prayer. And so I need the, these faith-pumping times. Thanksgiving reminds me that God did something in the past that's, that's going to connect me with his faithfulness. So that's going to raise my expectations for the future and recognize that his presence is with me and his power is available to me and that I can get through this. And so here's how I prime my faith pump. I, I've long ago started to list things where God was real in my life. And I did this through a timeline and now I'm old enough where I have decades of it. But I go back, I go back to when I was a kid and I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Back in those days, we go, I got saved. You know, and, and I was like eight, nine years old and I got saved. And I'm thinking, man, what he saved me from then I, is nothing compared to what he needed to continue to save me from. But he, I got saved. And he, as a little kid, I can remember walking out of church. And I must have been, it must have been around Easter Sunday because I got new shoes. And my dad would only buy me shoes on Easter and going to school in the fall. And those were the two new shoes that lasted all year. And I had brand new shoes on. And I'm walking in the back of the church. And my dad had his arm around my shoulders. And I just remember thinking, I feel like so new. I, I, mean, I feel like... I feel like I love everybody. I feel like there's no, there's no pressure. I feel like, you know, I, 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 this, the feeling was unbelievable. I feel like a new pair of shoes. That has stuck with me for years and years. I remember when I got baptized a few years later and coming out of the water and feeling washed and clean. I remember how real God was even as a kid. I remember when I was at, in college and I, I gave my life over to the Lord to enter ministry. I was at a camp in Northern California and I can remember I had, I had just messed up my life enough to think that he could never use me and would never want to use me. And yet I felt him tapping me on the shoulder and saying, not only do I want to use you, I want you to go into ministry. And I can remember going down and saying, I got nothing to offer. I got nothing to offer. And he said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. I can remember how real it was when I, when I recognized that so little did I have. That's all he wanted was everything. I can remember decade after decade, I've got a list of provision that he gave me. I've got list of rescues that came to, to being. I, I've got this present help in times of need that has come in my life. I, I've got these saving me from some temptations that would blow my life completely apart and mess everything up. I've got record after record, and I go back there and I remind myself, God, you're so real. You, you spoke so clearly. You did such great things. Thank you for that, and guess what, God? I need you again. He reminds me that it's not just a God of the past, but he's the God of the future, and his presence is with me, and his power is available, and we can get through this. And if it's not enough for me when I run out of my own list, I have family list because my family has a heritage of, of serving the Lord. And I have mom and dad stories. I have brothers and sister stories. I have kids and, and, and friends stories. I, 
I have some of your stories in, in there that I remember writing. I, I have church stories when, when, you know, I'm sitting here with you guys as you get. So I remember starting a church in, in Scottsdale in a, in a cafetorium and, and ooh, yikes. You know, I sit here with you guys and going, oh, God bless you. But this, this is a young man's thing. I, I mean, I remember taking everybody. I can remember some of the most unbelievable miracles that have not come in any context of ministry. Like when you plan a church and you get on the edge of reaching a community. I can remember when we, when we raised money to bring water to, a, to a, a community that has water on Thursday afternoons from 3 to 5, and it was dirty, nasty water. And we provided water for the whole community of 30,000 people. They had so much water that they gave water to, to three other communities, over 100,000 people. And I remember God working in amazing ways. There's a church over in 124th and Shea because God worked in an amazing way. God, you did that before. Can you do it again? If you did that before, can you do it again? I mean, that happens in the Bible all the time. All, all the, every time the, the, the children of Israel are in trouble, the, the leaders of Israel say, okay, let me just remind you, we have the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. That's our God. And they would go, oh, yeah. And they'd be reminded of all these stories of those guys and how God worked. And we can make it through this, this horrendous, horrific challenge that we have because the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac is ours. And he'll work in us. You remember when we got through the wilderness? Remember when we were, we were escaping from Egypt and the bondage of slavery? Remember when there was a cloud of fire that led us? Remember when manna and, 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 and uh, quail fell from heaven? Remember when a, a rock gave out water to drink? You remember those days? God got us through that. He can get us through this again. In this in-between time for me, I've been reading through the book of Acts. I'm going through a chapter at a time, and I'm just reminded it's not just an Old Testament God. I'm reminded as I read that when the church gathered in a, in a small little room and all of a sudden God just shook the place and the wind started to, to rock and roll the place and the sound of the wind scared them to death and all of a sudden a ball of fire showed up and on every little head was there's little like little blaze of glowing fire and they were shocked at what was happening as God's spirit started to indwell them. They started to talk in languages that they didn't know about but people who heard things that were going on and were attracted to everything that was going on heard the message in their own language far away as Egypt, all the way up into Turkey and Asia. They heard in their own language and on that day, 3,000 people followed Jesus. And they started to every day follow him and look after him. And there was one great sign that not only did they praise God and that they, they took communion and broke bread together, but they had this anticipation of signs and wonders that look what God has done. Oh, what is God going to do? And they watched as lame people walked again, as blind people saw that when their leaders were thrown into prison, the gates flew wide open and they were free. You did it before. You did it in the Old Testament. You did it in the New Testament. You've done it in my life. You've done it in others' life. God, can you do it again? Can you do it again? By prayer, petition, thanksgiving, bump the faith up. The faithful God of your life and in the life of people like us for centuries. He's been there. And his strength and his power is there. One last thing. It says in, the, in, that, in verse 7, when you pray like that, when you don't worry, but you pray, connect. But the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Peace of God, bigger than any human understanding. I, I can't even put my mind around this, what this peace of God is. But that peace of God will guard you 
will rule in you, will reign in you. The peace of God. A little truth telling right here, and we'll close. You can not worry, and you can pray, and you can lay it all out, your request, and you can go back, and you can thank God, and you can remember God, and you can recognize God. And I've done that many times, and I do that still, and I believe it. But i got to tell you this. There's no guarantee that your problems are all going to go away, that your circumstances are all going to change, that everything's going to be hunky-dory overnight. There's, there's no guarantee. It, in fact, it may never. It may never get any better. But here's the, here's the promise. That the peace of God that transcends your own understanding, the peace of God will guard you, will rule in you, will reign in you. Because the problem is not your problems. The problem is your anxiety and your stress and your worry. That's what's eating away like a cancer at your soul. That's what's cluttering everything up. That's what keeps you from going to God and viewing God and recognizing God. And it's the peace of God that surrounds you so that whatever your problems may be, whether they come or whether they go, whatever they may be, the peace of God holds you. The peace of God guards you. The peace of God insulates you. So I'm a pastor, so all I ever have to do is pray once, and then that's all. It's all taken care of from there. Nah, I wish it was that easy. How often do you have to pray? How often do you have to keep praying? Here's what I would tell you. Here's what I do. I pray and pray and pray until the peace of God becomes more evident than the anxieties of God of, that, of my life. So that instead of, instead of drowning in anxiety, I bathe in the peace of God. There's sometimes that goes real quick, one prayer and it's done. Sometimes you pray and pray and pray. There's some days I wake up and I'm first thing in the morning I'm praying because of that worry that I have, the problem that I have. And I get the peace of God, and by the time I get in the shower and I'm done getting ready to get dressed, it's back. I pray again and pray again. Some, there's some days you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Some days you pray, and it, it, all I know is I, I know when I can quit praying when the peace of God starts to surround me and rule and reign and insulate. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. The peace of God, the peace of God will rule and reign. I'd like you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. We're going to take communion as we, as we close. I, I, I'd like you to, maybe you're familiar with this way of praying. It, it helps me. Um, you came in here and I asked you if you had a problem or something that's causing anxiety. You have at least one of those. And uh, if you feel comfortable, what I'd like you to do is Take your, your hands and make them fists and hold them out in front of you with, with your fist out in front of you. And I, I want you to, to consider putting your, your anxieties, your worries, your issues, your, your obstacles, whatever you want to call them, whatever the problems are, in the grip of your hand. And, and what I want you to do is to put Paul's words into action. And don't worry about anything, but I want you to give them up. I want you to give them over to the Lord. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard and, and rule and reign in your heart through Christ Jesus. So in Christ, 
you can lay them before him. In a moment we take communion, you can lay them at the cross of Christ to give them over to him. So as you feel comfortable, what I'd like you to do is just open up your palms, open up your hands, and, and release the anxieties and the worries that you brought in here. Give them over to God. Then I'd like you to just take your open palms and turn them up toward the sky. And I want to invite you to receive from Christ what he wants to give you. That you let go of your anxieties and you receive his blessing, his favor, an open door, a healed relationship, a salvaged marriage. That you receive peace, even if you get nothing else. That you receive an awareness of his ever-abiding presence and of a strength that's beyond your own. That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would hear our prayers. I lift up each of my brothers and sisters in here. I don't know what's going on in their life, but you do. And I pray that your compassion, your care, your love, would overwhelm them. And I pray that you would open their eyes up to the strength that comes in following Christ. And I pray that as we go, we break bread and we take the cup, that we are reminded that you went to the cross to make us whole in our soul, in our body, in our emotions, to save us of our sin and to give us life abundant. So as we break the bread and as we take the cup, it's in Christ that we take our freedom, that we receive our blessing, and we live our life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.